These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Foul Play. This series is called My Aunt and the Hitman. I'm your host, Wendy C., And this is episode four, A New Twist. In previous episodes, I have described, with the help of the investigating detectives, how my aunt Sharon was found murdered in her home on the 7th of December 2007. How her body was discovered by George, who we later found out was in fact not her husband, but her ex-husband. And how the police found DNA evidence on a roll of duct tape at the scene of the crime. In this episode, the police unpick more about the events surrounding Sharon's death, and things take an unexpected turn, which nobody could have anticipated. In the weeks since Sharon's body was found, detectives had spent hours analysing the scene, following up leads, conducting house-to-house inquiries, painstakingly going through every drawer of every filing cabinet, ringing every number that they found on every scrap of paper, hoping to find a clue to get them to solve the murder. DC Deacon and DS Cork continued to interview George, hour upon hour, week after week, slowly breaking down George's barriers and extracting the information that they needed from him, bit by bit. As the weeks went by and the evidence grew, there was one prime suspect, George, Sharon's ex-husband. The wait for the DNA results from the roll of duct tape was excruciating. Surely this was the missing piece of the puzzle. This was the piece of evidence that would cement the case for them. And then, after weeks of waiting, just before Christmas in 2007, the results were back. DCI Woodall and her team were waiting in anticipation, confident that this was the missing link. When the DNA came back, it it wasn't George's DNA, and we had already taken that to to run against anything we found in the house. So yeah, that meant that he wasn't a suspect at that point. The team were gutted. Any thoughts of wrapping up this case before Christmas were dashed. They were back to square one. I think when the DNA came back as not George's, I was a little bit disappointed on a number of different levels because you want to solve the crime quite quickly. You want to be able to reassure the public. And we we were coming up to Christmas and from a from a personal perspective, everything closes down for Christmas. So we knew that we still had a lot of work to do before we could find out who had killed Sharon. Well, I remember 
we were quite deflated because we were all sat in the office by the phone, literally waiting for the forensic lab to phone us because we knew exactly how long it was going to take them to process that DNA. And it, it felt like being punched in the stomach. But we got the team together. Well, I got the team together. I said, the, you know, the result has come back. It's not George's DNA. We've just got to keep going. Our suspect is out there. And we were quite sure that George would lead us to that suspect. DS Cork describes what it felt like to be told that the DNA was not George's. You almost feel like you're back to square one because it's, it's not the man you've started to suspect. So you start to look at other areas, start to look a bit broader. I mean, it didn't rule George out, but it meant that, you know, he wasn't the man that actually did the crime himself. DC Deacon was also shocked by the result. That particular result that we found out was a bit of a bit of a blow for us. We were totally gutted. We thought we had him, we thought it was him, and all the, the, the softly, softly we were doing, getting all the information, we were being drip-fed by him, and then bang, we were saying there's no DNA, there's nothing on that, you know, the tape, and, and the whole thing that came, and we thought, well, this can't be right. He's got, he's, he's, he's involved, there's no, there's no question of that. But the proof wasn't there, there was no evidence there. I can't imagine what the detectives went through at that moment. After working so hard, day and night, that sinking feeling they must have had in their stomachs when the results came in. The disappointment that everything that they believed to be true had been quashed, and any expectations of discovering the truth of what happened to Sharon before Christmas, gone. They still believed that George was the key to solving this crime, but at that time they just weren't sure what part he played in Sharon's death. The interviews with George continued. DC Deacon and DS Cork had got to know George pretty well by now. DC Deacon tells us more about the interviews that he helped conduct. In my eyes, and this is the same as I think everybody's eyes, in a murder inquiry, it's normally the last person who saw the, the deceased and the first person to find the deceased is, is, is the murderer. And this sort of fitted in straight, and I, and I was speaking earlier to somebody else, so this, this put me in a position where we were quite convinced at that beginning, that George Birch was responsible in some way of his wife's death. But obviously that, we couldn't jump to that conclusion. We had to go through the process. And the process was this significant witness where we dealt with Birchwood for days and days and days as you know, a significant witness. And I was his best friend and I looked after him and went all through things. And then we had to interview him about day, date, time and every, all this sort of stuff. And, that's, and as the, the, the investigation from my point of view, as you, in the interviewing officer of the, of the, at that point, the witness, it was pretty straightforward. And then it started when well, it, was, it was getting cloudier and cloudier and all the things were going wrong. And in between that time, this is where the investigation was being looked at forensically. And this is where other things came in. Let's go right back to Friday the 7th of December 2007, the day that George found Sharon's body. Back to the first time that DC Deacon and DS Cork met George. Basically that evening, as I said, he was obviously, he wasn't well, so he made sure that he was looked after, took to hospital. This is now by about 11 o'clock at night. My colleague and I have been on like a long time and we needed a break and we said that we'll stay here all night with him. And it was decided we would leave him overnight and then go and see him in the morning. Now, this is exactly what we did. We were back at the hospital at nine o'clock the next morning where George had been seen and been looked after and been medicated and everything else. He was very, very, how can I say, uh, 
argumentative, aggressive, couldn't, we put it, we were just making out, I said, you're shocked, you know, what you've just found and all this sort of thing. For him to say he came to the police station, we, did, we didn't go to a police station. What we did was we did what we called a significant interview suite, which is basically a nice little room where tables and chairs and settees where a witness who's subject of various situations can be interviewed on a one-to-one -one basis. And one of us would then film that particular interview for a later reference, things like that, which is exactly what we did. I was the cameraman and was dealing while my colleague was actually in the interview talking to George. Again, this went over a number of days and we would take him home, make sure it stopped, make sure he got fed and then take him home to his mother's place where he was staying because he didn't have any transport. Well, we did have some transport, but the, the car was broken. And then we take him back to the suite where we'd interview him again. DC Deacon continues. Simultaneously, things are going on in the background. All the intelligence being done on him, Sharon, all the bits and pieces, CCTV that's going on. And we're, I'm being drip-fed things while my colleague is asking questions. So I'm on a mobile phone on one end and trying to listen, film and take the information. And then there'd be a break. And then I would speak to my colleague and say, look, you know, all about this, have a, have a talk, chat to him about that. So slowly but surely, we were building a picture of Mr. Birchwood and what his relationship was with Sharon and how all this, you know, what he thought had happened and all this sort of thing. Again, long drawn out process. It didn't just happen over a couple of hours. It was over days, weeks, in fact. The more the detectives got to know George, the more they learnt about him. They noticed his change of demeanour when they asked difficult questions. They noticed those little changes in the way he looked, spoke and acted when he was lying or found the questions difficult or uncomfortable. All skills that make detectives so great at their jobs. DC Deacon tells us more about what he noticed when interviewing George about his body language. His attitude, all the while he spoke the truth, part truth, he was confident. You could see it in his face and his actions and his whole manner is that he was confident. As soon as you pushed him on something that, one, he had to lie about, two, that he wasn't sure about, that's when his body language, his total attitude changes, aggression comes out towards us. One minute I'm his best friend, then, you know, why are you asking me this sort of question? What do you think I am and all this? Um, so you could tell by the question and his, and his complete change of demeanour that um, we were touching on something that, you know, we had to dig deeper. And here were some of George's tells, those little signs that perhaps he wasn't telling the truth. He'd sit back if he was talking openly like this, chatting about, yes, if it was about, about the weather and everything else. And as soon as you pushed on a hard subject, it was like this, he'd look at you really hard, or he'd look down and he'd just frown. And his whole face changed because knew, he knew that he was, well, we knew he was lying about or about something, but what, at that particular point, well, it, was a, it was a subject that he didn't want to talk about or wasn't comfortable with. And one of the, the questions, again, this is over a period of time and various questions we put to him, was about how the body was found, the state it was in. And when we pushed that, he just completely lost it. He was absolutely fuming with me to even, you know, just think that I would think that he would do anything like that. And he was really, really strong about that. You know, it, as is to say, 
I wouldn't, what sort of man would do that? I wouldn't do that. And it became obvious then that he knew what had happened, but he wasn't responsible for that, that, that particular action on, on Sharon. He was shocked to find her the way he found her and the horrible thing, the state that she was in and the way that she'd, she'd lost her life. I think that really shocked and upset him. And he made that plain and clear. In our ongoing journey, dissecting real life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android, and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. Attention, friends. Are you ready to embark on a journey into the unknown this Mother's Day? Prepare to dive into the depths of your family's history with mylifeinabook.com. Each week, mylifeinabook.com sends intriguing questions, uncovering the thrilling tales of your mom's past, and then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. From daring escapes to nail-biting encounters, her life becomes an epic adventure waiting to be explored. This Mother's Day, give the gift of excitement and intrigue with mylifeinabook.com. It's a thrilling ride through your mom's life that you won't want to miss. I gave this to my mom last year, and let's just say I didn't know my mom as well as I thought I did. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SHANE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SHANE for 10% off today. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. There were many layers to George. What did he actually do as a job? Nobody really knew. Why had Sharon left everything to him in her will, even though they were divorced? Why did he continue to visit her multiple times a week? What about his current wife and children? Oh yes, I think I forgot to mention that George had two children with his new wife. 
As the weeks progressed, as a family we were in limbo. There wasn't much in the way of news of what had happened. We couldn't go ahead and bury Sharon as her body hadn't yet been released by the police. Christmas was looming, but nobody was in the holiday spirit. It just seemed to drag on and on and on. I guess we've all watched those programmes on TV, like CSI, where the DNA results come back within two hours, and there is a resolution to a case within a matter of hours, or at worst, a couple of days. Of course, it wouldn't make great TV if things took as long as they do in real life, would it? The reality is that the days drag on from one to the next with no news. You all sit around in shock, speculating about what happened and why. The reality of the situation not really sinking in because, well, you don't get taught how to deal with things like this, do you? Some days it felt like we would never get to know the truth. And while the truth is horrific, I still believe it's better to know than your imagination taking over. At least we had a body to bury. At least we knew where she was. The detectives interviewing George were relentless and their patience eventually paid off. The detectives knew that George saw Sharon multiple times a week and called her all the time. They were curious. If she did in fact die on the 4th of December, why did he not go and check on her until the 7th of December if he hadn't heard from her? Was he not surprised at the lack of communication during those few days? Or was that exactly what he expected? DCI Woodall tells us more. You never really understand why anybody does what they do, but I think George was trying to anticipate what we would be asking him as, as police investigators. So when we asked for his phone, we just wanted to know how much contact he'd had with Sharon and we needed to see evidence of the phone calls that he said he'd made to Sharon in those days after she was killed. Because George was a regular visitor to Sharon's house and he would, and he openly told us that he spoke to her every day. So we were quite curious as to when he had phoned her and she hadn't responded, why he didn't follow that up with going around to her house, which he normally would have done. So again, that weakened his position within the investigation. As the investigation continued, the police went through every recent number on George's phone. Maybe there was a clue here. During his interviews, George was also asked who the numbers were for and why he had spoken to that person. George had pretty good recall and knew who most of the numbers were. There were a couple he couldn't recall. I bet we all have those on our phone, don't we? Someone trying to sell us something, or a scam call like I had this morning, allegedly from HM Revenue and Customs. But there were a couple of numbers that stood out. They'd been called multiple times leading up to Sharon's death, and then... nothing. When there was a frequency of those calls prior to her murder and then they stopped after her murder, those were the ones that we focused on in particular. The detectives tried to trace the calls, but of course, they were pay-as-you-go phones. They were pay-as-you-go phones. Some people call them burner phones. So we were able to have a look at when they were topped up and we would make inquiries as to who would top them up, how much, and see if we could glean any identity from that. So we would then do work around the, the person that actually had that phone. There was one number that was calling quite a lot before Sharon was murdered, and he identified the caller as a man called Paul, who had recently come over to visit him from Thailand. It sort of sparked our interest quite significantly because he didn't really have a good reason as to why Paul had come across, and he also didn't know a lot more about him. He didn't know his surname, what part of Thailand he'd come from, where he was then, because he was no longer in the area. So who was Paul? How did George know him? 
and why had he come to England? George claimed not to remember Paul's surname, which seems strange to detectives, and it does to me too. If you speak to someone multiple times and they come to England to see you, you would think that you would know their name, wouldn't you? This had red flags flying all around it. The detectives could feel that they were on the verge of a much-needed breakthrough in the case, a clue that they so desperately needed. DC Deacon tells us more about the point that turned the investigation. That number had been used between him, or that phone, and that number, right up to the build-up to the murder, and then, bang, suddenly, this number doesn't exist anymore. It's not been used. So it was a question like, well, whose phone number is that? And he said, oh, I can't recall. And then we sort of pushed it a bit. We said, well, it's... And we but again, we were dealing with him as a significant witness, so it was very hard to push him as a suspect interview. Obviously, the, the questioning is different and more aggressive in, in certain times, so it was still softly, softly catchy monkey to see what, what he'd come up with. But obviously, we had that number in our mind right from when we identified it. But it's very difficult we had to, when we interviewed him to talk around it and then eventually slip the number in and ask him rather than go straight to it. So he was like confident while we were saying about this number, oh, that's my mother, that's my brother, that's my sister, or whatever it was. And then when it came to this particular number, and then straight away, as we said earlier about his demeanour, it's all like, oh, oh, I don't know, I can't remember. And then, again, we knew that that was a, a very significant break in the, in the inquiry. At this stage, the detectives are sure that Paul has something to do with Sharon's murder. But who is Paul? How is he involved in all of this? And why? Their next break came completely unexpectedly as DC Deacon took George home, well, back to his mother's house, after one of his interviews. I took him back into his house with his mother to say hello to his mum, because I got to know her quite well, as you can appreciate. Plus, we wanted to know if what we'd done was, could be heard. So I was talking to mum and just chatting away, and then it was a mother, George's mother, who gave up Paul. She said, oh, how, how are you getting on? How do you get on today, George? He said, oh, yeah, it's all right, mother. We were just talking about um, this bits and pieces and, you know, my friend and everything. And then she suddenly said, oh, your friend that I met at the railway station. And he went, no, 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 not that one. You're getting confused, mother, you're getting confused. And I then said, Mr. Bertrand, what, what exactly, um, what was all that about then? She goes, oh, yeah, the, 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 the man from, um, from Thailand or somewhere, he came over to stay. Yes, you heard that right. Paul, the Paul whose surname George couldn't remember and he barely knew, yes, that Paul, had come over from Thailand to see George and stayed at George's mum's house. DC Deacon goes on to tell us more about that conversation, starting with George's mum saying... And I met him at the railway station and we, I brought him here. And I went, oh, OK, no, that's very nice of you. Oh, we let him stay and he stayed in the spare room. I said, it's really nice of you, Mrs Birchwood, that's very kind. And George is absolutely, you can see on his face that something had gone drastically wrong. I went straight, I said bye-bye to everybody, I went straight out to the car to my mate, said, write this down quick. What, what the conversation I just had. And then that's where it snowballed from there, that we now have this person who's arrived, called Paul, who's arrived from Thailand and had stayed actually in that house with George. Thank you for listening to episode four of My Aunt and the Hitman. In the next episode, we find out more about Paul from Thailand and my dad has a meeting with George. 
These are my dad's words, but not his voice. There were four mobile phones on the table, which I commented on. He said the police had asked why he had four phones, and he was annoyed, as if he thought it was normal to have lots of phones. Later, he told me one of the phones was his Thailand phone. I asked why there was such a long gap between seeing her on Tuesday and him calling round on Friday. He told me that after he'd seen her on Tuesday, he had sent her a text on the Wednesday and the Thursday, and he said he had kept them from the police, and then proceeded to read them out to me from his phone. The one on Wednesday, I think, said he wouldn't be around tomorrow, and on the Thursday, said he is at someone's, I can't remember who, and probably wouldn't make it. He had lived apart from her since about 1987, but had maintained very close contact. During all that time, Sharon continued to do all his work, and he consulted her on his business decisions. He still called her his wife, and she called him her husband up to the end. The divorce was for financial reasons, and did not affect their relationship. I asked how divorcing her helped their financial position, because he had never transferred the property to her. He was vague, and I got the impression it was other things. He said that she was very special to him, and felt, as she did, that they were soulmates. He said he could not have done that to her. If he had done it, he would have done it in a way that she did not suffer or get hurt. He said he would have used insulin and made it look like suicide. He would not have made her suffer. I had told him that the toxology had not shown anything unusual and that insulin wouldn't show up anyway. He said they would be able to pick it up. I then said not if she had been dead for over 24 hours and he agreed. What about business? He said only about half a dozen people knew Sharon's address but when I said it wouldn't be difficult to find, he agreed, as there were so few Birchwoods around. He said he had made a number of enemies in business. He had given the police names and details of some who he thought most likely. One particular person, who had done a business plan for him for some project in Thailand, which had gone nowhere, asked for the plan back, but George had given it to somebody else, so he couldn't return it. He threatened George, with what I don't know, and George took the attitude that he would definitely not give it back now. This podcast was written and produced by me, Wendy C. It was edited by the amazing team at Foul Play and Arclight Media. Any profits made from this podcast will go to Friends of the Earth and Refuge, both charities that were close to my aunt Sharon's heart. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.